Hey there, my name is Chad Bryan. I am the student ministries pastor at our Half Moon campus. It is great to be with you today. Uh, what a privilege. I want to welcome our four, all four incredible campuses. Uh, Greenbush, Saratoga, my home campus Half Moon. What's up guys? And of course, Latham. It is great to be with you today. We are continuing our series called Jesus, the Radical Transformer. And today I'd like to start by uh, sharing a story that Jesus shared over 2,000 years ago that's endured over 2,000 years like several of his stories because the guy, well, was one heck of a storyteller to say the least. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there was a man of noble birth. The man of noble birth sought to leave his country and to um, acquire kingship in another country so that he could come back to his own and rule as king. Apparently there is historical precedent for this. Prior to this man of noble birth departing to pursue kingship, he pulls together ten of his servants and he gives them each a stack of cash. The Bible calls a minus, roughly three months worth of wages. And he leaves one piece of instruction to all ten servants. He says, put this to work while I'm away. Put this to work. The man of noble birth departs, but he does so in untroubled terms. See, many of his subjects, his servants, actually hated the guy. So they chase him down, get on some horses with like markers and poster boards and try to do everything they can to get in the way of this guy becoming king. It doesn't work. The man of noble birth returns back to his country as king. And the very first thing that he looks to do is to gather his ten servants and see what they did, what they gained with what he had given them. You see, their gain is no longer just for them or for the man of noble birth, but because he's king, now their gain is kingdom gain. And so he gets the ten servants together, but in fact, he only really has to go through the first three to see the state of his kingdom. The first two are pretty similar. The first servant steps up and says, Master, look what I've done with what you've given me. The money has turned into 10 times its original value. The king says, way to go. That's awesome. I'm so proud of you. Because you put to work what I have given you, I'm going to reward you by giving you 10 cities to oversee. Wow. The second servant steps forward. He says, master, look what you've given me. It's turned into five times its original value. Way to go, says the king. Double high five, secret handshake, right? Like, that's so cool. You know what? Because you put to work what I've given you, I will reward you by overseeing, you overseeing five cities. Both servants are equally celebrated, but yet differently rewarded. The third servant, though, is totally different than the first two. Third servant steps forward and says, uh, master, here's the um, money that you gave me. 
I wrapped it in a handkerchief and I set it aside somewhere. And the reason why is because honestly, I think you're a harsh guy. Your standards are too high, your expectations are overbearing, and your work is too hard. Not to mention, you take from our work and you reap what you don't sow. Here's the money. You could hear crickets in the room as all the servants looked to each other to anticipate the king's response. You wicked servant, the king responds. I will judge you by your own words. My expectations are too high. My standards are overbearing. I work you too hard. If this was about work, you would have taken the money I gave you and you would have laid it aside in a bank to at least gain something for my kingdom rather than just wrap it in a handkerchief and set it aside somewhere else. It's the same amount of work required. You see, the king knows that this is not about work. This is about kingdom buy-in. The third servant doesn't want this man to be his king. So the king gathers the ten servants together and he says, I want somebody to come over here and take the money that belongs to this third servant and bring it to the first servant. Give it to him. Whoa, 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 says the the whatever they're called, the servants. Hang on. The first guy oversees 10 cities already. The king says, you're right. Let me make my point very clear. Whoever invests in my kingdom will receive more of my kingdom. But whoever does not invest in my kingdom will lose even that which they were originally given. The king then calls for all those who opposed him as king to be brought before him and killed. This story is actually found in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. It is, it is a story. It's a parable. And, and so I encourage you to get out your, your Bibles, whether it's the good old paperback or leather-bound version or your electronic devices, doesn't matter. But Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27, just in case you thought I was making some stuff up there. When Jesus shares this story, it's similar to when you and I share a story, at least if it's a good one. It has a main point. And so we got to be careful to assume that everything that the king in this story does is the exact personification of Jesus. Right? We got we got to be careful. Jesus has a main point. And this story is not about working harder or having business savvy. This story is about kingdom buy-in. You see, kingdom buy-in is when we believe, when we buy into the kingly rule of Jesus and the fulfillment of his kingdom. That's what kingdom buy-in is. When we believe in the king, Jesus, and his kingdom. The Bible says that Jesus shares this story with his disciples because, frankly, there's a lot of Jesus fever going around Jesus at the time that he shares the story. His social media accounts are blowing up. Friend requests and followers galore. And as Jesus heads to Jerusalem, 
People think that it's like a politician heading to Washington, D.C., that Jesus' grass movement, grassroots movement, is about to become official. It's about to turn into some kind of giant empire that overtakes every governmental and religious institution. What these people who are around Jesus don't know is that when Jesus reaches Jerusalem, they don't understand about the persecution and the betrayal and the death. They don't know that. You see, Jesus' kingdom isn't about a a religious or governmental takeover. It's about personal and radical transformation. And that's a marathon, not a sprint. And so Jesus shares this story, very interesting story. He shares so that his followers would know what real kingdom buy-in looks like for the long haul. So how do we have kingdom buy-in? Whether we realize it or not, we all are buying into a kingdom. We all believe. You and I believe in a kingdom today. We might not think about it as we're lost in the whirlwind of life, but we're all being ruled by someone, and we're all living for something, whether the world's kingdom or God's. So how do we have kingdom buy-in? How do we demonstrate that we believe in the king and his kingdom? Well, we have kingdom buy-in when we put to work what God has given us. We have kingdom buy-in when we put to work what God has given us. Luke 19 verse 13 says this, so he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minus or a stack of cash, whatever you like to imagine. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Prior to the master departing to another country to seek kingship, right, he, he, brings, he brings together his own servants, gives them the stack of cash, and he says, put this money to work. Put this to work. The original word used for the phrase that we translate put this to work is actually where we get the word pragmatic from. So what this master, this at the time man of noble birth, is telling his servants is to go do something productive. Be creative with the stack of cash, with the minus that I'm giving you. Make something of it. He doesn't list 10 ways that they should spend it. He doesn't micromanage them. No one likes a micromanager, right? He says, use it, put it to work. In the same way that the master told his servants to put to work what he had given them, God tells us to put to work what he's given us. Now that natural question is like, well, what is it? Right? What, what, what has God given us? If it's a stack of cash, you know, you might think, well, that's not a lot. Yeah, I'm a youth pastor. I know that, too. I mean, did, I, we could talk about spiritual gifts. We could talk about natural abilities. We could talk about resources, jobs, opportunities, network, net worth. When we talk about what God has given us, I think we should think about all of it. As the Apostle Paul says, what do we have that we have not been given, right? What do we have that we haven't been given? Every good gift comes from God above. For example, if you work in the corporate field, it's a gift. Put it to work. Make the most out of the skills the Lord has given you and the passion he's given you to acquire more. Be the best that you can be. Go after it. If greatness is maximizing your potential for the glory of God and to help people, God is not against greatness. He's against 
pride. Those are two different things. Put it to work. If you're a parent, put it to work. And I'll be inclusive about this. Let's put it to work. Make the most out of the Make the most out of the gifts that God has given you in, in, in children. By the way, just to remind you, I don't know what you went through today with your family, but children are a gift, even the bad ones. I mean, seriously, we know that there are people listening to this who have been unable to have children, right? We know, probably so many of us know and, and have experienced it ourselves, uh, what it's like to lose children. Children are a gift. Parents, let's thrive. Let's put it to work. Let's make the most of it in, in only a role that you or I could fulfill, right, as our kid's mom or dad. As someone said, one of your greatest contributions to the kingdom of God may not be what you have, but who you raise. Let's put to work what God has given us. Young people, this is all people, but young people for a sec, if you have a passion, and the reason I'm calling you out is because I'm not talking about your parents' passion, I'm talking about your passion. There's a time in life where that starts to become a thing, right? If you have a passion for writing or singing or making music or playing ball, put it to work, right? Start to experiment with it. It's a gift of God. Make the most of it. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, I don't really know what I have to put to work, though, Chad. I don't have a lot of resources or opportunities. I don't have any special powers, superpowers. Or maybe you actually know your strengths, but where God has you in life, you're not sure how they line up with where God has you, how you could use them. And I want to qualify this truth real First of all, if it's time for you <laughs> or me to move on from a bad spot, a bad job, a bad relationship, a bad environment, I, I trust, and it's been my experience with a lot of long-suffering, that the Holy Spirit on his timeline will give you that clarity if you're willing to listen to him. But please hear this. God has you where you are doing what you're doing, and surrounded by the people you are for a reason. God has you where you are, doing what you're doing, surrounded by the people you are for a reason. There's a proverb that stuck with me for years. Proverbs 12, 11 says this, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. It is so natural, right, so easy to think and wonder all the time about what other land that God might have for us, right? What's next, the next job, the next relationship, young people, all people, the next life stage, the next whatever. But I love how the master in this story says to his servants, put this to work. Put this to work. What I'm giving you, what's in front of you, put this to work. You and I need to work this land that God has given us. We need to work the land God has given us rather than wonder if he just has more for us. Maybe he does. Maybe for you he has a different job. Maybe a new relationship. 
I don't know what that means for your current one or anything, but maybe a big-time business deal. However, it all starts with you and I putting this to work, what he has given us now. We can always think about what God might have next for us. We should dream of God doing immeasurably more through us than what we're currently experiencing. But it all starts with us putting to work what God has given us in the here and now. That's where it starts. We need to maximize our potential for the glory of God and the benefit of people and the circumstances he's placed us in now. We need to work this land. We need to put this to work. One of the cool things, too, is that we don't have to get lost in the how when we put it to work. You see, Jesus is far more focused, it seems, on the what than he is with the how. There's so many, so many cool perks about following Jesus. Here's one of them. Jesus gives us freedom and using the personality and the gifts he's given us to follow his leading. He gives us that freedom. He gives you the freedom to use the gifts and the personality that he's given you to be creative, to be pragmatic, to put it to work. Verse 14 of this story talks about how the master departed to be king, right? And some of his servants chase after him because they didn't want him to be king. So if we break it down, there's kind of two categories for the, of servants for this guy's estate. One, it was the servants who spent their time and energy protesting things they thought weren't going their way. Some of them got on horses. Some of us get on Facebook. Two... You should laugh or that kind of gives you away. Second, servants who spent their time and energy putting to work what their master had given them. I want to be the servant who's putting it to work, right? I, I want to be the servant who's working this land that God has given me. Because I'll tell you right now, I have spent too much time in my life thinking about the next one. I want to put it to work. We have kingdom buy-in when we put to work what God has given us. We also have kingdom buy-in when we pursue kingdom gain. We have kingdom buy-in when we put to work what God has given us. We also have kingdom buy-in when we pursue kingdom gain. Luke 19, 15, the second part there. It says, then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. So the king returns and he who wants to see what every servant, what each of the ten servants did with the stack of cash, the minus he gave them. Obviously, the king's not looking to see if they bought a horse, iPad, or timeshare, right? He's looking to see if they used what he had given them for kingdom gain. That's what he's concerned about. And for the first two servants, the king's so proud of them, right? First servant tells the king again, right, look what you've given me. This money you've given me has turned over into to tenfold the value. King's like, way to go, man. So cool. So proud of you. Because you put to work what I'd given you, I'm going to reward you by you overseeing ten cities. The second servant steps up, right? Second servant says, look, king, look, sir, what I did. The money you, you gave me has actually turned into five times the value. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is, the king says. Way to go. Again, secret hype. Five, handshake, double high five, whatever. They do the little celebration dance. So cool. Way to go. 
the servants are celebrated equally, but they're rewarded differently, right? One oversees 10 cities and the second oversees five. They're celebrated equally, but rewarded differently. From what I see in scripture, Jesus definitely has a reward system, right? I'm not talking about salvation before anyone gets in a funk here. I am not talking about salvation. I'm talking about kingdom buy-in and pursuing kingdom gain. God wants us to pursue greatness in his kingdom. Greatness in his kingdom looks so different than greatness in the world's kingdom, right? It's tricky, man. Greatness in God's kingdom, right? It's like um, uh, down is the new up, right, in the kingdom of God. In order to be first, you got to be last. In order to be great, you must become a servant. So no one said it was easy. But God absolutely wants us to pursue greatness in his kingdom. And Jesus will reward us as we pursue kingdom gain. We have a, uh, a former and legendary volunteer at our Half Moon Student Ministries who spent a ton of time at uh, my wife and I, our family's little townhouse, uh, repairing, building, destroying things. And um, basically any good thing in our little townhouse came from this volunteer. Uh, I am completely, in, completely inept as a handyman. Any of you who just thought to yourself, oh, you can figure it out. It's because you're handy. Stop. It's pretty bad when my wife says to me, honey, please don't try to fix it. Please, please don't try to help. I'll do it. Please don't make it more expensive. This volunteer knew that about me. And knew that it was a help to my wife as well. And so came over all the time and, and worked like crazy on our house. And I remember on several different, several different occasions, I would thank him. And I'd be like, thank you so much for taking your, your Saturday, right? I mean, even your work day to like paint my bathroom. Thank you so much. And on Several different occasions, he would say to me something like this, Chad, you know I love you. And then a big smile would come across his face. But I'll also get heavenly rewards for this. The guy believed so much in heavenly, heavenly rewards, is like a, li a little creepy. But put it to you this way, when I get to heaven, I hope he invites me over to his house because it's going to be way bigger than mine. Living for kingdom gain changes everything. Kingdom gain is anything that is a win for God's kingdom. That's what a kingdom gain is. Anything that's a win for God's kingdom. When we live for kingdom gain, we are still in the same meetings. We still have the same drive to work. We still go to the playground with our kids or drive them everywhere for their events. We still hang out with the in-laws and show up for doctor's appointments. When we live for kingdom gain, we still live everyday life. But here's what changes. You, you go through, and I go through, when we live for kingdom gain, we go through everyday life now asking the question, what, what might be the kingdom gain in this? What, Lord, could be the kingdom gain in this? When we start pursuing kingdom gain, we start looking for things of eternal matter, eternal significance in day-to-day -day activities. Listen, pursuing kingdom gain oftentimes does not change 
does not change our circumstances. But pursuing kingdom gain does change what we see in our circumstances. Pursuing kingdom gain does not change our circumstances, but pursuing kingdom gain does change what we see in our circumstances. One of the biggest changes, one of the biggest changes from living from personal gain to kingdom gain is that when you live and I live for kingdom gain, we're no longer the stars of our own kingdom. When you choose to pursue kingdom gain, you no longer are the star of your own kingdom. The kingdom is not about you and your personal gain. This has been, honestly, one of the most brutally painful lessons and yet by far most meaningful lessons in my life the last couple of years. To learn that God's kingdom and agenda aren't centered on me. In the ministry I've been given, it's not about me. It's not about me. In the family that I have, it's not about me. In my marriage, it's not about me. Getting the theme? It's not about what my personal goals are. It's not about how much money I want to make or how much I think I should. It's not about me living out my convictions and preferences. The kingdom of God is greater than me. It goes beyond me, and it can move forward without me. And no matter how we choose to act, Jesus will still have eternal rule. And if we have to be the star of our kingdom, then God's kingdom probably isn't the best choice for us. But if we want to be a part of something significant, something eternal, something actually fulfilling and rewarding and purposeful, then the kingdom of Jesus is what's up. It's where it's at. The last few years, there's been a popular hashtag I've seen from people who work out a lot. I'm not pretending to be one of those people or anything, but there's a hashtag uh, gains. If you don't know what a hashtag is, ask someone who's under 40 around you. Gains, G-A-I-N-S. And they use this hashtag a lot. I won't show any pictures today because people get a little weird with how much they like their muscles sometimes. But they use it in reference to an increase in muscle mass or, or protein intake. It's, it's physical gain, right? It's physical gain. But what if followers of Jesus here at Grace Fellowship Church, let's just focus on our church fam. What if our church family went out throughout the Capital District looking for kingdom gains? G-A-I-N-S or G-A-I-N-Z, depending on how gangster you want to be. But you see the homeless person, and you ask the Lord, we ask the Lord, what's the kingdom gain you want me to see in this? We're stuck in the house with the kids all day, just counting down until bedtime, and we ask, what's the kingdom gain in this? We have a meaningful conversation with a friend, and we go through it asking ourselves, Lord, how can I turn this into a kingdom gain? When we pursue kingdom gain, our circumstances don't change, but what we see in them do. How powerful will it be when Grace Fellowship Church staff and congregants are sold out for kingdom gains? 
Here's something I've learned out of frustration, especially when I'm asking what the kingdom gain is as I count down to bedtime for the toddlers. A lot of times we don't know the answer. You could ask God, what's the kingdom gain in this? And, and, and you may not know, honestly, through all the different trials and situations of life. But that's why we trust that the king is running his kingdom. And we believe that he has us where he has us, doing what we're doing, surrounded by the people that we are for a reason. And so we keep putting to work what God has given us as we pursue kingdom gain. So we have kingdom buy-in when we put to work what God has given us and when we pursue kingdom gain. But both these things, if you notice, both these things are doing, right? Putting to work what God has given you, pursuing kingdom gain. Both of these things are doing. Our doing comes from believing. Our doing comes from believing. So in order to have kingdom gain, we have to not only put to work what God has given us and pursue kingdom gain, but in order to have kingdom buy-in, pardon me, where we believe in the king and his kingdom, in order to have that true buy-in, we need to pray for that kingdom buy-in. We got to pray for it. Luke 19, 20 to 23, this is the, the part of the third servant when everything goes downhill. Then another, another servant came and said, sir, here's your mina, here's your stack of cash. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in. You reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? You see, the third, or should I say the primary problem with the third servant is not work ethic. This story is not about work. It is not about making good business deals. And the first two made good business deals, and the third one didn't, so he was publicly murdered. That's not the story. Otherwise, that would be so frightening. The problem with the third servant is that he doesn't buy into the king or his kingdom. It's a heart problem. You see, when it comes to kingdom buy-in, the heart part is the hard part. When it comes to kingdom buy-in, the heart part is the hard part. It would have been just as much work for this man, this third servant, servant, air quotes, right, to take the stack of cash and to put it in the bank and, and collect something from it as it, would, as it was for him to just wrap it up and set it aside. It would have been just as much work. It wasn't a work problem. It was a heart problem. And the same could be said for us, I think, when it comes to kingdom buy-in. When it comes to believing in the king, King Jesus, and his kingdom, I don't think work is really the problem for us. Honestly, I think most of us love work. I think most of us love work. Life today is filled with inspiration to work really hard. I cannot watch a 30-minute sporting event. Without seeing some commercial telling me to work harder, go beyond my limits, you know, pursue greatness, Nike, Under Armour, 
Gatorade and all the other organizations who do a bad job of selling their brands because I don't know what the commercials are about, right? But they're everywhere. A lot of us are recovering workaholics and we think it's admirable. We're like, yeah, I am. No, that's not good, man. That's not good, right? But, but we struggle with that. We, a lot of times, worship work. We, we love work. Work is not the problem for us. The problem is what kingdom are we putting that work into, right? What kingdom are we actually putting that work into? The work part is not the hard part. You know what, for me, is the really hard part? What's hard for me is for me to believe in a kingdom that I don't see. That's hard for this guy. This little bald guy, that's hard. It's hard for me to believe in a kingdom that I don't see. It's hard for me to picture that one day Jesus will actually dwell with all believers in bodily form and he will reign and righteousness will reign and there will be no sin, no shame, none of that stuff. All people from every nation and every language and every race will call Jesus king. Satan won't be much of a thing. That's hard for me to believe, to believe in the kingdom that I don't see. Work, please. Hard part, the hard part is the hard part. But thank God that he's greater than our hearts and he changes everything. That's why we need to pray for kingdom buy-in. That's why we got to pray for kingdom buy-in. We need to ask the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to change our heart so that we fall in love with the king and the kingdom that we don't see rather than the one that we do every day. We need to ask each day that what's most important to God would become most important to us. That our prayers would change from requests from merely personal gain to prayers for kingdom gain. I can't wait for the day, because I caught myself today praying that my sports team would win. I mean, don't judge me too harshly. I can't wait for the day when my prayers elevate a little bit there. And that my mind is caught up on kingdom gain. Kingdom gain. But I can't do it to myself. Kingdom buy-in begins with a heart of prayer. For the spirit of God to change your heart. You know what, actually today I've given you three points so far, and that's all that's coming. Three points of what kingdom buy-in looks like if you happen to remember them. Right, uh, We have kingdom buy-in when we put to work what God has given us. We have kingdom buy-in when we pursue kingdom gain. And we have kingdom buy-in when we pray for kingdom buy-in. But those actually are in reverse order. You see, our, it's not that our doing leads to believing. It's that our be- uh, believing leads to doing, right? It's not um, put to work what God's given you. Work, work, work. Uh, pursue kingdom gain. Come on, try harder. And pray for kingdom buy-in. And pray a little bit. That's not it. It's pray for kingdom buy-in so that you will pursue kingdom gain by putting to work what God has given you. You see, when we pray for kingdom buy-in, we pray for kingdom buy-in so that we pursue kingdom gain by putting to work what God has given us. 
We pray for kingdom buy-in so that we pursue kingdom gain by putting to work what God has given us. I think you could recite this with me and check it out. I even got hand motions for you, all right? We pray for kingdom buy-in so that we pursue kingdom gain by putting to work what God has given us. We pray for kingdom buy-in so we pursue kingdom gain by putting to work what God has given us. Okay, you're really, really loud, but I'm going to need you to get louder. Okay, ready? We pray for kingdom buy-in so that we kingdom gain by putting to work what God has given us. All right, um, Greenbush, I hear you a little bit. Saratoga, Pastor Mike Adams, if you're in the, like, I don't know, sanctuary or lobby, you got to get louder. Half Moon, you better be the loudest because Latham, they're losing their minds. Let's go. We, for kingdom by and so we, kingdom gain by putting the work what God has given us. Amen. That's how we pursue kingdom by and way to go. When Pastor Rex first asked me to give this message, which, which really is incredibly honored, it's my, one of my favorite times of the year. Is to be able to do this. I, of course, one of my first moves is to look at the text. I mean, to say yes and then look at the text that I'm speaking on. And um, I was pretty intrigued until I got to the end where, you know, the end is a bunch of people get publicly murdered. And I thought, geez, <laughs> what do I do with that? You know, like, thanks, Rex. Thanks for sending that one over to me. And although Jesus is telling a story and and a parable, and again, it could, be a, it could be a mistake to assume that everything the king does in this story is the exact personification of Jesus. That's not to dismiss the hard truth that's highlighted here. There will come a time of accountability concerning what kingdom we have chosen to live for. And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, there is nothing to fear. The Bible says that God the Father did not give us a spirit of fear, Right? But instead, his perfect love drives out fear because why? Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not experienced his complete and perfect love. You see, the people in this story who opposed the king, they knew they opposed the king. And they made it known to the king. And maybe there's someone here today, you know that you're standing in opposition to God's rule in your life. I remember as a young man, as a high school guy, it doesn't matter stage of life at all. This happens at all stages of life. For me, as a, as a high school guy, I, I remember that I was aware of God's kingdom and I knew about God's standards, but I didn't want him to be king of my life. I wanted to be king of my life. And yeah, I was scared to die. I was. I was scared to stand before the king. And I just hoped that I could keep going my way as long as possible. And if that's you, for just a second, I just want you to take a quick second to think about the kingdom you're buying into. You see, the kingdom that you're believing in, all your work, all your effort, all your energy, all your hope, all that purpose and joy is being put into something that could be gone tomorrow. 
Ecclesiastes put it like this, my heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Listen, God invites you into his kingdom, and he's willing to forgive you for your opposition and welcome you with mercy, grace, and forgiveness. But you've got to be willing to let him be king. Maybe there's others of us here today where you believe in the king and the kingdom. You believe in the king, Jesus, and his kingdom. You just need to be encouraged again to go after kingdom gain. So if that's you, listen, church, let's get after it. Let's go for it. Let's put it to work. Let's stop complaining, arguing, or whining. I'm saying that to myself too. As it's been said, make moves or make excuses. Let's make kingdom moves. Pray for kingdom buy-in so that we pursue kingdom gain by putting to work what God has given us. The kingdom is active. The kingdom is, is here. And if we pray for kingdom gain, one day that kingdom will be fulfilled. So let's get after it, believing that the king is running his kingdom and he has us where we are, doing what we're doing, surrounded by the people that we are for a reason. We pray for kingdom buy-in so that we pursue kingdom gain by putting to work what God has given us. Let's pray. Jesus, as you prayed, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you.